Hello and welcome to another episode of Danbro Business in Conversation. Uh, today we're joined by Alex Hatchman, the CEO of Natfin Solicitors. Thank you very much for joining us today, Alex. Um, Alex has got a breadth of experience uh, across uh, business. She's worked in blue chip firms around the world in Spain, in the US, the UK, Australia, Belgium, I believe. Um, she's also an Oxford and Cambridge and INSEAD alumni. Quite a daunting resume, <laughs> Alex. Um, I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your role at Napthans, if, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Good morning, Sam. Thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure. Um, so, yes, my name's Alex. I personally, background is I'm married to Ian. We've got a couple of children, a couple of cats, all of them <laughs> out of control. Um, we live near Southport. Professionally, I went plural, as the kids say. So I um, started out as an engineer, I then turned to management consultancy, business consulting. I then became a retail executive, and then I've become a legal chief executive. So, so I've kind of- a breadth of different yeah, industries. Yeah, so currently I work for Naplands, and I think my job is twofold. So I think first of all, it's about operationally running the business, so achieving in-year targets. But I think more importantly, it's strategically about transforming the business and achieving our dreams in the future. Oh, excellent. So. I've done a little bit of background research on you, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> and one of the things that, that stood out was the phrase servant leadership. Yeah. So I wondered if you could talk about that concept a little bit and what it means to you and how perhaps it impacts your job day to day. Yeah. I think it, it's, it's core to me. Um, and so servant leadership is about the whole ideology that, that my job is to serve the people at work for me. And so what it does is it turns on its head that, that historical hierarchical command and control that actually the people are there to serve you oh. and for me it, it's absolutely core cool because our workforce is serving our customers and it's really important therefore that i serve them so that they can serve the customers and i think in terms of what it it means in my day job so when we have new cohorts that come into the organization every one to two months then one of the things i'll talk to them about is servant leadership and i explain to them that i am here for them yeah. <laughs> and and actually the number of times that people look at me with this really confused look on their face <laughs> saying, okay <laughs> i've joined in this particular role and you're saying that i'm here to serve you um, but it's actually incredibly important because it is the people at ground level that that do that serving and what it does mean for me is by generating those pathways those communication pathways mm that actually I can optimize the organization. And, and what it also means that it's really important, I've then got um, relationships with people at all levels in the organization. One of the things that you do find in very hierarchical organizations is the message that's down here, by the time that it gets to up here, yeah. it's completely different. Chinese whispers. Absolutely. And, um, and in a servant leadership organization, that doesn't happen because you've got that direct communication into into everybody. So in practice then, how accessible are you to, I don't want to say lower members of staff, but more junior members of staff? Should we say? Uh, completely. So um, our cleaners are called Debs and Alfie. Um, our receptionists are Janet, Tanya, Leslie, Barbara. Um, and I think if you spoke to them, they would absolutely say that they have a really good relationship with me. We do joke telling between us, we banter <laughs> between us. Um, and so for me, that that would be the case. And, and I think one of the things for me is that there's um, a saying, which is, do you kiss up and kick down? Right, and I okay. have to be honest and say, I really don't like that. And I don't like people that exhibit that. Yeah. Um, I'm very much, I don't kick up, but I definitely try and <laughs> kiss yeah. down 
metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> in a manner of speaking. Yeah, exactly. So obviously that's hugely important to the culture of the business that you're in yeah. at the moment. Talking of that then, how, how have you, I don't know how to phrase the question, how important is it to manage up as well as down though? Because obviously yeah. in the roles that you've held in different firms, you must have been answerable to shareholders or yeah. other CEOs when, before you became one. Yeah. Could talk a little bit about that perhaps? I mean, I think, I think there's also the third dimension, which is managing sideways. Okay. So, so that's, there are three ways and it is, it's really good to think of it as a kind of as a circle. Mm. Um, and all of them are important for different reasons. What I do think though is when the pressure's on and when you're time poor, I think then you start to see people's preferences yeah. as to who they prefer to communicate with. Mm. And I, because of the reasons that we've just talked about in servant leadership, my preference goes downwards. I need to make sure that the workforce are active yeah. and that they're in motion. And once I've sorted that bit out, then I can take care of the rest. Yeah, no, definitely. I think those, as long as those foundations, is that kind of what you're saying? As long as they're yeah. structurally okay. Absolutely. So we talked obviously earlier, you've held like jobs at blue chip firms around the world. I think it's Ford, Tesco, M&S, Accenture, Coles mm -hmm. Supermarket. And you've moved between different industries, different countries. How important do you think it is to have that in-depth knowledge of an industry before going into it um, and how I've, I've kind of in, in terms of becoming a successful business leader yeah. has that as have you ever had you know seen the opposite side of that if you will yeah I think it's helpful but I don't think it's essential okay um, and you will often see in different businesses that you've had somebody there that's been time served they've been in around for decades mm. and they've been promoted or appointed into a the role because they've been in around that right. business and then they go into the role and what they've got is they've got all of those really helpful networks they've got all of that knowledge but they don't have any business training mm. and they don't have people leadership training mm. and without those two things to be honest you're not dead in the water but yeah. but, but it's a real hindrance yeah. it's a real achilles heel so I, I have this kind of golden trilogy which is um in ascending order, the most important things are, yes, have that technical expertise, but then the second one would be having that business management, having that commercial acumen. Yeah. And then the third one then would then be people leadership because most businesses, people are absolutely essential for that. Mm. So if you don't have that people leadership skill, then then I think that's a real, a oh. real difficulty. And you, there are people who, um, there's a guy called Adam Crozier, who has been, he was the chief executive. Was it the FA, I think, that once upon a time, yeah? He was. But from the FA, he then went to the Royal Mail. Okay. And from the Royal Mail, he then went to ITV. Completely different. And before the FA, he was in Saatchi and Saatchi. So if you think about that kind of leader, mm. he definitely didn't have in-depth knowledge of all of those. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. But what he did have was that business knowledge and that yeah. people leadership. And do you think there's a danger then of, to extend that out a little bit of people becoming institutionalized if they just spend 30 years at one industry and work their way to the top of it the kind of the blinkers might be on to the outside world a little bit i think it used to be okay kind of 20 30 mm. years ago but in today's world which is changing so much there are very few people that go in and be a career person in yeah. some area you know we know from the data that, that most people stay in business for a couple of years before they move on, that's changed completely, hasn't yeah. it? So, you know, the generation above me was very different to that, yeah. you know, and, and so, so what you have to then do is you have to make sure, I think, that you don't become that kind of lifer, that you actually do challenge yourself. Yeah. You do go out of your comfort zone, you do do things that are different. Yeah. 
Um, and it is scary. I've, I've, kind of, I've done that. Mm. Um, and I will carry on doing that, but I think it's essential. No, I think that's really interesting because I think, like, think about my parents, for instance, Dave, like my mum's held the same job basically for 30 years. My dad's had two. So it's, yeah. Whereas nowadays, I know from my sort of peer group, it's, yeah. they change every, every few Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in all your years working in, in different commercial organisations, what would you say is the most important thing that you've learned about the people that you've worked with or about people in general? Should I say? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it's, the answer is that I think everyone matters. And what I mean by that is everyone from top to bottom and everyone from left to right. So organisations have a lot of um, barriers and and hierarchies and silos and all of that. Mm. And that means that they're, they're not frictionless. And, and those kinds of barriers really stop businesses from progressing. Mm. Um, and if you can treat everybody with the same interest, with the same care, with the same equal respect, then what they will give back to you, they will repay that over and over and over. Mm. So, you know, you and I, before we sat down, we talked about your baby, you know, we've talked about a little bit about you. Yeah. Um, I think that is um, that is something that if you can treat everybody the same and that everybody matters, then I think that is... It lowers people's of, barriers, doesn't it? It lowers people's barriers. But if you look at the kind of, of the great leaders, I, I sometimes say that, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson was a command and control type leader. Mm. Um, whereas Jurgen Klopp is much more a collegiate type leader. And yeah. so, so leadership has changed in the last 20, 30 years. It really has. And I guess it will carry on changing going forwards. We are on dangerous territory on deciding who's better out of those two. Oh, so I think gosh. we should move on, Alex. Okay. Just so you know, my husband's united. Oh, okay. Well, so we, we need to good. meet up. Okay. Yeah. No, he, sounds, <laughs> he sounds like a lovely guy. Um, what qualities would you say you look for when you're hiring into, into a different organisation? Because obviously, as you've explained, you bring in people from you yourself have coming from one industry into yeah. another. So what would you, is there a consistent thread in terms of the type of individual that you, yeah. you would look for? I, think, I mean, there are obviously different skills. So depending on the role, there's different skills that you want and mm. depending on what's already in your team. But there, there are three, and, and you want to have diverse teams, but there are three core qualities I, I look for. One is wisdom. And that's about, you can have, it doesn't take, um, you don't have to be um, old to be wise. Mm. I've seen people who are really young that are really wise and it's about being objective. It's about taking in information. Okay. It's about not becoming entrenched in a position. Um, so wisdom for me is, is really key. Kindness is really key. Um, and, and I've talked about kindness. I, I think we talk about kindness a lot more now, especially post-COVID yeah. and during COVID. But I've been talking about kindness for the best part of six, seven years. Yeah. Um, and we talk about mental health now and all of that. But for me, kindness is about being emotionally intelligent. Yeah. And it is about trying to understand others' positions. And then the final bit is strength. Um, and strength is, I look for strength because leaders have to do the right thing. Mm. And it takes courage to do the right thing. It's yeah. often easier to do the wrong thing. <laughs> and actually, for me, I go in, the, in that order. So I, I look for people who've got wisdom, then kindness, then strength. In that order? In that order. Um, but I think you have to have all three because, you know, we see leaders that don't have wisdom and kindness and they do have strength. Um, and we, there's probably names popping in both of our heads. Yeah. And, and we see the destructive element of that. Mm. However, there's also leaders that have got wisdom and kindness and they don't have strength. Yeah. And actually those can be also quite destructive too. Yeah, definitely. It's particularly dependent on the circumstances that they're facing at that time. So yeah. do, you, do you look for those qualities in, in the staff that you 
you manage as well and you, yeah. you must see that in the younger people as well that are coming up yeah. which must be encouraging absolutely um have you ever people talk about imposter syndrome a lot as yeah. well is that something you've ever experienced um not really okay so the re so i i don't have a surplus of confidence i'm not overconfident mm. but i don't have a deficit either i'm not underconfident as those with yeah. imposter syndrome would have um and i think the reason for that is probably twofold. I, I came from nothing, Sam. I, you know, I, I basically, what I've achieved, I've done the hard way. Mm -hmm. um, and when you do it the hard way and your journey is that, well, what it means is you've got this backpack. Yeah. You've got this backpack of skills and experience and knowledge and, yeah. and, and, and resilience and, as well. And resilience and networks and all of that stuff. And at times when you are in your, out of your comfort zone, one of the things I do is sit down and go, okay, the only person you can do is you mm -hmm. <laughs> type thing. And I know that that is, um, that's a bit twee maybe, but when I go to conferences and I present and you know, I'm towards the end and the, there are these speakers that go ahead of me and I'm thinking, wow, you are amazing. Mm. <laughs> you have just blown my socks off yeah. and now I've got to follow you yeah. <laughs> type thing. You're the headliner. <laughs> you know? And then I, so I sit down and go, I can just be me. Okay. Um, but I think, the second thing, so for anybody that is suffering with it, I think what I would say is just surround yourself by just brilliant people. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not the best at everything. Um, I know that I've definitely got areas where I'm weak at, but what yeah. I try and do is I try and complement it with people that are okay. better. So it's delegation then? Well, it, it's almost strengthening. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is because it just makes the whole team stronger. Mm. So, you know, in football, we've just touched upon, you wouldn't have a team of 11 goalkeepers. Mm. So you'd have people that are different. But I think, I think surrounding yourself by people that are really strong, it doesn't make me feel that I'm less. Okay. It just makes me think that they are more. Yeah. No, that's a really, really good way of looking at it. It touches on what you were, you were speaking about earlier as well. Um, what about when things don't go to plan? <laughs> so you must have had some experience of this. And, and yeah. do you have any advice for young entrepreneurs, perhaps, when things hit the fan yeah. as to how to sort of guide the, the, yeah. the people that you're leading through those times? I think from a leadership point of view, it's you can lead, anyone can lead when it's fair weather. Okay. Leadership is actually about when it's stormy weather yeah. type thing. Judge and people in adversity kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So when it is stormy weather, there are, the first thing I do is I try and remain absolutely resolutely calm. And the reason for this is because your people are watching you mm. and they're watching to see, you know, has some kind of, is some wobbling? Mm. And they'll be looking for those visual cues as to how they should feel about situations. So you have to remain absolutely calm yeah. through that situation. Um, Clive Woodward, so we're switching from football to rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Safer territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he used to have this. Now that's teacup. Okay. And teacup stands for thinking clearly under pressure. Right, okay. So what he would be doing during kind of, I think he was doing the closing stages of the 2003 World Cup, was he was doing this at the sidelines and he was saying to his team, think clearly under pressure, think yeah. calmly. And so, so that would be the very first thing that I would do. Um, the second thing I do when it's not going well is I then surround myself by myself, myself, <laughs> me, myself and I, I surround myself by people who are real trusted, mm. um, but also really good under pressure too. Yeah. So it's not just me under pressure fighting this battle. It's actually a group of us that together we can solve this. Yeah. There's strength in numbers, effectively. Yeah. Um, 
in such a high pressured role though you must have had um tests for your own mental mental health and anxiety and, and stress on a day-to-day basis yeah. at, at least so do you have any advice for other business leaders on how to manage a your own mental health yeah. and also to look out for signs of um wobbling to use your phrase yeah. of, of the team around you like i think in terms of how i self-regulate um and i don't always get it right sam to be honest there are times where it is too much yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that's normal though. that's normal for everybody isn't it it is but i think i think what i try and do is what i mentioned before i try and have great people around me because together we can share that burden share that load the other thing that i do um, is i have a team of people of experts that are friends also outside of work okay. um, that i can call on and i can have a chat with them and say look i'm in this situation they're not an echo chamber so they're not going to reflect back what i want to hear they're going to reflect back what they think mm. And so having that non-echo chamber group of trusted advisors, I think is really, really important. It makes me feel stronger yeah. for having them. And then the third one, which is probably more as I've gotten older, I've done better, is you know I try and have a stress-free personal life. Not okay. always easy when you've got two children. Yeah. Or a Man United supporting husband. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm an Evertonian, gosh. Oh, okay. I'm, okay. I'm used no, to stress. We're good so, then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so it is, it is, I try and run my personal life as stress-free as possible. Yeah. And I do sometimes see other business leaders where they've got quite a chaotic work life. And then they've actually got a chaotic home life too. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think, well, maybe you can cope with that. But I know I can't yeah. because that's my recovery time. Yeah. So I think, I think that's how I try and manage it. And maybe, you know, as I've gotten older, I've uh, more seasoned. Yeah. I've done it in that way. Yeah. Um, I think you asked about looking for signs of, of mental health yeah. issues. Um, there are the telltale signs that, that you kind of you're taught to identify, you know, if somebody starts to cry mm. um, and that's not usual, then that's a real telltale sign. And that can be for frustration or for anxiety. Mm. Um, I think the key there is stay close to your team because if you're looking for physical cues mm. that they've got mental health issues and they've not told you then it talks to that relationship that you yeah. have or haven't got with them. Yeah, that open, it shouldn't take the kind of subversive kind of working yeah. somebody out. They, they should be able to just, they just speak about it. They shouldn't have reached a point of breakdown yeah. before you've noticed something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about women in business? So obviously as a successful sort of woman in business yourself, have you faced any challenges and barriers in your career? And where do you think we're at now with that? Do you think it's changed a lot over, over the last sort of 10, 20 years? Yeah. I mean, yes, I have. Um, I think every woman who's reached a certain level has, has, has experienced that. And some of it is kind of covert um, and some of it's overt. And so you will absolutely, I still experience things really? that, that I wish I didn't. Do you mind sort of giving an example of, of what that would be? Um, it's, I, in a previous role, so, or maybe, let me maybe take it back. I remember when I had my children mm -hmm. and um, after I had my first child, when I was coming back to work, I did a, a kit day, a keeping in touch day. And, and I was asked whether I was planning to have any more children. Well, okay. Now, we all know <laughs> that question should never be asked, mm. um, but that question was asked and my daughter was then born, my second, and she was called Emmeline after Emmeline Pankhurst. Oh, wow, okay. So 
Yeah. But I think in terms of the issue, so the issue is profound, Sam, and I, I can give you some data mm. to just really yeah, help. Um, so just basic data. One thing I will do around International Women's Day, which is the 8th of March, mm. I will just kind of update. I've got the spreadsheet, which has got all of the female leaders, mm. political leaders in countries, the top 50 countries. And then I've got the political leaders of the top 10, so the top 50 countries by population. And then I've got the top 10 by economic wealth. So on both of those, so it's 195 countries in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the top 50 by population. Um, there are two. I was gonna say it's not gonna be very high this, is it? Yeah, so those, but here's, here's the so what. Of those top 50 countries, that accounts for 85% of our global population, which is heading towards 8 billion now. Yeah. And of that 85%, because those female leaders are actually of small countries, then they only count for 1% of the 85%. So that means that of the 85% I've analyzed, 84% are run by men. Yeah. So that's kind of one data point, which I think talks to the yeah. magnitude. The other one is that the top 10 leaders by wealth. It used to be much better because you used to have Angela Merkel, mm. who was leader of Germany. And Liz Truss for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Liz Truss, yes. That, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, we should move on. Yeah. So, but, but now if you look at the top 10 leaders, um, they're all male. Mm. So if you look at the top 10, which I think from memory, Sam, is something like two thirds of the economic wealth around the world, yeah. top 10 countries, all of those are male. So I think, I think the problem, it has moved on and I don't want to say it hasn't. There has been some progress and we should be optimistic. Yeah. However, the progress is really slow. Mm. And I think the other thing that we need to bear in mind is that when we look forwards, there's actually more headwinds for women than, than we actually understand. So yeah. three of those, just to call them out, one of them um, is that women tend to do more administrative roles, mm -hmm. low-skilled administrative work, and of course, with technology, those will be automated out. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the headwinds. The other one is that the women tend to do much more unpaid care work. And what we need is in the future to, for everybody to retrain. But if you're doing the unpaid care work, where's your time to retrain? Yeah. And then the last one is that um, the really important subjects going forward is STEM subjects, so those scientific, engineering, maths subjects. Yeah. Um, and only 30% of the intake into universities is female. So. Mm. When you think of those together, then the challenges are profound. Do you, do you feel the responsibility as somebody who has done well in business in spite of those challenges? Do you feel the responsibility? Because they often say, don't they, you've got to see it to believe it. Yeah. Do you feel like you've got to exude a, a certain kind of quality or something when you're in front of, of younger female yeah. employees? Yeah, I, I absolutely, I feel a responsibility for, but. I have a son and a daughter, and, and I think they should have that same equal opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do feel that responsibility. I don't want to pull any kind of ladder up behind me. I don't mm. want to think that because it was hard for me, it should be hard for others. Yeah. That that isn't going to make things move forwards. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard enough without without that kind of attitude. So, so I do. As a result of that, I do talk quite a lot about the subject. On International Women's Day, I'll try and publish an article yeah. just to raise awareness. I want to talk positively about it. Yeah. It isn't just women that's the solution. Men here are the solution. Everybody mm -hmm. needs to... 
be part of that solution because it's a societal problem. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do feel a responsibility. You mentioned there, just to move it off slightly, about automation. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, even just in the news this week, there's so much about AI. So are you concerned or excited by AI innovation? And also, how, or are you indeed, future-proofing your business as a result of that? It's a really timely question, isn't it? Mm, <laughs> yeah, very, a little bit terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like I, I'm, overall, I'm excited. I am. I think there are what was in the press yesterday and today about the existential threat of AI. I yeah. think we need to take note of. Yeah. And like anything, it needs guardrails yeah. and it needs boundaries. Um, I do think that you know, since the beginning of time, it's not, we talk about innovation as though it's something new. We've been innovating since yeah. since the beginning of mankind. Mm. That is just our journey. That is who we are. The difference, though, today is that the rate of change is exponential. So quick, yeah. And so within our lifetime, we will see three revolutions. We'll see the Internet revolution, the Internet of Things revolution, which is definitely coming now, mm-hmm. and then the AI revolution, which is also on its way. So we will see these three revolutions, which have all kind of aggregated together. And, and that means that we've just got to... For me, I, I think we do have to, from a business, we've got to face into these things. Yeah. Because I've you can't got, uh, ignore them, can you? You can't. You cannot, you know, you can't put your head in the sand. You can't pretend it's not coming. Yeah. Um, you can't ignore the tsunami that's over yeah. there. You, you can't do that. But I think, I think by being excited about it, by being interested in it, I think you've got the chance to then look at it and go, well, here's the opportunity. Mm. So I would encourage people to be excited, to be interested, because otherwise... What that does mean is that if you're not and your competitors are, you lose relevancy. Yeah, you're going to be left behind. And I do think some of those reports do seem a little bit sensationalist as well. There is an element of that. But speaking specifically about the legal profession then, how do you kind of see that evolving in line with this AI revolution that's coming? It's a great question. Um, And I think because I was in retail when it went through this transformation, when Mm. it went the whole online.com and all of that. I saw that up close and personal. And, and, and for me, it was just fascinating. Mm. It wasn't terrifying. It was absolutely yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't as if it was, you know, retailers were doing it to people. People wanted it. Mm. Um, so I think that I'm going to see the same thing in the law. I think it's coming, is my view. I don't know exactly when. But I do know it's if, and we've had things like ChatGPT, which mm. are already starting to make its presence felt. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a couple of things that we'll see in the law. The law is about £45 billion pounds mm-hmm. an income a year. Um, half of that tends to be B2B, half it tends to be B2C. And I think from a, um, a customer point of view, there'll be new and different ways to serve them. Yeah. So I imagine there's going to be like the economy class, which is, you know, a digital... Um, it's a it's kind of a self-service type yeah. tool. There's that class, and I'll come back to that in a minute because I think that's important. Mm. There's then the business class, which is a combination of lawyers and technology. Okay. And then I think there's a the first class, which is actually you've got the best lawyers, you've got the best legal minds, and you've got the best technology together. Mm. Yeah. And I think you'll see that. The reason the economy class is important is one of the things that we talk about in the law is access to justice. Yeah. And the law if you're not a business, tends to be, for the, the average person, it's expensive. Mm. And so if you want to provide access to justice, then providing self-service digital tools becomes really 
really important. Okay. So I think I think that's one of the things that we will see. We'll start to see those different, new and different ways. Yeah. Um, I think the second thing that we'll see is that the <coughs> the law has been built on the hourly rate. Mm. So what that is is a cost plus model. Yeah. Um, and and actually customers don't want to be served in that way. They want to be served on a value-based model. So what I think will happen is I think that we'll have more commercial models emerging. And part of those, by the way, will be driven by not just by the customer wanting it, by regulation, forcing okay. it. So I, I think those are two of the really interesting things that we'll start to see. New operational service models yeah. and new financial commercial models. Do you trust, this is quite an, an interesting question to ask somebody in the legal profession, do you trust in the regulation doing its job though? Because we've, the concerns I suppose a lot of people have is that the political class aren't keeping up with the rate yeah. of change in terms of technology, for instance. So do you have optimism that it will be able to kind of regulate this and make sure that the pace of change is, is you know, we can cope with it? I think I do have optimism. I, I don't think it's there, mm -hmm. to be honest, but I do have optimism. Okay. Um, so the regulator is the SRA, the Solicitor's Regulation Authority. And one of the things that they've recently done is they've, they've brought in um, a policy around how lawyers should behave. Okay. So we, we talked a bit about mental health earlier. Mm. Um, and actually, if you don't comply with that, the, the punishment's quite punitive. Okay. So, you know, just from that point of view, I am really encouraged by some of the things that are happening. But I also do think that like any regulator, like, like any business or institution, I think they're struggling to keep up with the pace of change. Yeah, which is understandable. It's that, it's that rapid, but there's no excuse. We, we, you know, it needs to happen, doesn't it? Yeah. We've spoken a lot about the future and um, I kind of want to bring it back to yourself. In terms of strategy and forward planning, how much time do you devote to that? Yeah. And also, have you got any advice for business owners and entrepreneurs who... <laughs> perhaps find that the day-to-day -day gets in the way of casting that longer-term yeah. vision? Yeah, so I think I, I would say as much as you can, as much as you can because because of this world that we're living yeah. in, your strategy is your forward view. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and that has to be constantly updated. So I would say I've spent probably about 50% of my time in the last year on two things, it's the strategy, but it's also on the transformation, which is all the projects that are about the change program. Okay. So I spent an awful lot of time on that. Um, in terms of those businesses that are going through that and, and how they struggle, I think in bigger businesses, when you've got unlimited resources, what you tend to do is, is they tend to split teams. So you've got your today teams and you've got your tomorrow team. So for instance, at Marks and Spencers, I had, when I was running food distribution logistics, um, I had two teams that were doing today. There was a head of operations and a head of service. And then I mm. had two teams that were all about tomorrow, which had a planning and a head of development. Right. And what so that, that laser-like focus then on there. That meant that today could never impact tomorrow okay. because they were separated. Yeah. Now, that's in a business that's got loads of resources. What you're asking, I think, is in those entrepreneurial businesses yes. that are maybe in startup or even in scale-up, yeah. and they're multitasking. And I think if you're multitasking, it does take discipline. Because if, if you are having to do two roles and you can't separate it, mm. then, then you do have to be really disciplined about it. Yeah. Um, and I think what you can do is you can make sure that you've got a team because we all have preferences and some people love the today and some people love the tomorrow. And what you can do is have a team that is diverse mm. and has those different preferences. Yeah.
And I think that's really interesting about using the Marks and Spencers um, example. Just because it's a smaller business, like you say, it has, you have to be disciplined with it, but you should be able to look at it through two prisms, really, shouldn't you? The, the today and the tomorrow, even yeah. if you've just got yourself to rely on. Um, right, off the serious subject. <laughs> so what would you say your favourite thing is about running, about running a business? Can I have two, Sam? Of course, <laughs> by all means. Um, I, love, I love leading people. I thought and that I, might be one of them. <laughs> good. Um, I love setting the tone. I love changing the culture. There's a lot of businesses that have got some legacy culture problems, which for me are archaic. And one of the things that I do, I celebrate the younger people coming through because they have got the strength and courage to do things that my generation didn't. Yeah. Um, so I love, I love leading the people. I love driving that culture forwards. And that, that isn't pain-free. Um, there are definitely those points of resistance from the old guard, for want of a better phrase. Um, but you've got to realise that that business and norms and expectations are all moving forwards. Yeah. So that's the first one. And the second one is transformation. Okay. I love taking a business and just taking it to the next level and then taking it to the next level. And I just love seeing it fly. I really enjoy that. That's amazing. And given what we've just spoke about, there's obviously that's where the opportunity comes in, doesn't it, with, with the technology in particular? Yeah. You mentioned younger people there. So um, directing this at younger people who might be watching, if you had one piece of advice for a younger person in business to make it to, to yeah. your level, what, what would that be? Well, it's a great question because, you know, as a parent, I'm thinking, what are the skills that I need to teach my children? Yeah. And I think... I think the best girls is that you can teach them is to, to teach them to love learning. Okay. And the reason that you teach them to love learning, so you have to love learning because you're going to have to learn over and over and over. Yeah. And you're going to have to adapt and you're going to have to reskill yeah. and you're going to have to retrain. And it is, when I say learning, you, you have to learn from everybody around you. So it's not just, well, I'll only learn from those that are older than me. Actually, some of the best learnings of my generation are coming from... Mm those that are younger than us. Mm. So, you know, learn from everybody would be, would be my, uh, my guidance and, and have this voracious appetite because as we talked about earlier, you know, the days of going into a business and being a lifer mm. and staying in the same role in the same company, those days are really gone. Mm. Now it's about, you know, you go into different businesses and you move around and actually the world has changed and therefore you need to go and do a new and different role that didn't exist when you graduated but it exists now. Yeah. You know, we didn't used to talk about data scientists when I graduated, but now we talk a lot about it. I think I'd take from that the word ad adaptability. Yeah. I think that seems yeah. like a, a key takeaway there. Um, that's great. And the, the final question we've got, you'll be pleased to know, <laughs> is one that we ask everybody, which is how you would define success, yeah. both personally and in terms of, in a business sense. It's a, I think success is a really, it's a really personal Thing, defining it um, and I think it, it, it comes back to some of it comes back to your starting point so if your starting point has been difficult a disadvantage then your definition of success will be very different to somebody who's got the benefit privilege and advantage mm -hmm. um, and so for me personally you know aside from my children my my biggest success was actually my undergrad degree um, because I came from a place where I didn't really know too many people that went to university. I certainly didn't know anybody that <laughs> went to Oxbridge yeah. or a prestigious university. And so for me, that journey was 
was really unimaginable, mm. um, if I'm honest. So that, for me, was success because my starting point was definitely behind the eight ball. Um, professionally, I think definition of success is, is a bit different. I've got to a point where it's, it's all about, you know, creating this group of people who are going to go past me. Yeah. You know, it's the kind of the, the, um, the master and the student and all of that. And I, for me, it is about teaching people, giving them, imparting them skills and knowledge, them complementing them with their own. And then they just become this extraordinary work yeah. leader. Um, so, you know, we can talk about that side of things. I have to be honest, though, Sam, when all is said and done, you know, if, if in my final days I look back and I've lived a good life personally and I've worked a good life professionally and I've left a good legacy and some kind of positive footprint on the world, then I think I'll be happy. You've done your job. I've done my job. I think that's an excellent place to leave it. And thank you so much for, for joining us today and for, for sharing those thoughts. It's, it's been really interesting speaking to you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time.